Creation Grounds, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Creation Grounds. On this episode, we have a very exciting guest. Her name is Amira Martinez. She hails from Miami. She is first generation of Cuban immigrants, one of which has very exciting news that she shares in this podcast. She was happy about it. I'm happy about it. You'll be happy about it too. In this episode, we talk about women empowerment. We talk about women in the industry and, and casting stereotypes and, and uh, women directors and opportunities for women. We talk about what she, who and what she was influenced by and what influences her art and her as an artist. Um, we talk about some great books. The Alchemist is thrown in there. Uh, we talk about actor burnout and productivity versus um, just kind of being busy and what that is and how to actually attack your goals. We talk about the, the word no and how empowering that is and all these great things. This episode is going to have a lot of value for you guys. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy Amir Martinez. She's coming. Um, she has a role on Ava DuVernay's um, Central Park 5, which is coming um, to Netflix in, uh, in May. And she's also working on a short. So look out for Amir Martinez because she's doing big things. Enjoy this episode. Amira Martinez, did I say it right? Yeah, you did. You did. Amira, great, great, perfect. Um, so I just want to kind of dive right in um, and ask you, who's had the most influence in your life and, and why? You know, it's funny. My parents have had the most influence in my life. They are immigrants. They came here not speaking the language, um, working really hard, both of them jobs to support us and to make sure that my sister and brother and I had opportunities um, that they didn't have in Cuba. So I, I definitely feel like I get my work ethic from them, um, especially when it comes to any kind of obstacles that may come up in the career or any kind of frustrations. When you grow up in an environment where you're, you're working class, you really get creative at being resourceful and figuring out how to overcome these obstacles. They don't really defeat you, you know? Um, and I got that from them. Like I really attribute all of that from them. And creatively, I feel that some of my earliest influences were Christina Ricci. Okay. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I think she's such an interesting actress. I really do. Um, especially as a young child, kind of moving into adult territory, I feel like she just took on so many interesting roles. I'm a big fan of indie film, and yeah, she, she really had a huge impact on me. Um, also Denzel Washington. Love him. That's one of my oh, tops, too. Love him. I think it, Honestly, like we grew up watching all of his movies, and he is just so, I don't, like magical to watch on screen, you know? Like, he's so there. He's so there. And who else? Um, oh, Claire Danes, too. Awesome. She's doing yeah. it right now. She's doing a lot. I know. I know. She's also like someone who I find is very interesting. Um, I think what I like about them is that they are sort of misfits in a way. Like, they don't follow the grain doing romantic comedies or, like, kind of fluffy films. They really go after gritty characters. 
um, multidimensional characters, and I find that really inspiring. Yeah, so you kind of get the resilience from from your parents for your own career, and that's very useful as an actor, um, and that's really cool. So you're first generation, right? Yeah, first generation American. Um, how did you get interested in the arts? I know Cuba has like a vibrant like art scene. It's very um, the music is great, very artistic over there. Um, how did you get interested in the arts? My, you know, my dad um, was a musician in Cuba, and so we were always very artistic in the family. Like we always had music playing. There was dancing, and. I don't know. There was something that attracted me as a child to performance. And as I got older, um, you know, like in middle school and high school, I found it so fascinating to play like different characters and figure out that there were so many different types of people in the world. Um, And we, my family loves movies. I mean, we, that was like our church. We would go to the movie theater or go to Blockbuster and rent movies. Blockbuster. Um, yeah. I, and I think it's because not only was it how we learned to speak English, but there's something so universal about the human condition. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that it doesn't matter what you look like, what your ethnicity is, you feel the same feelings. Um, and when, when I was in elementary school, my family moved to Georgia from Miami. And so it was such a culture shock, um, to go from like a vibrant, diverse town city to a small town that's not so diverse. Mm -hmm. And it was through movies and reading books where, Is there like a specific, well, it was kind of just like the move and it was kind of like a, an escape for you to like understand the world and also yourself. So yes. just that trip to Georgia. Yes, I definitely, I definitely believe so. Um, also reading literature, you know, it was just a way to expand the world, if that makes sense. Like broaden horizons um because i didn't travel abroad until i was in my 20s so this was a way to experience other cultures um that were similar to mine or different from mine and learn about different all different kinds of people so you mentioned that you love like kind of indie films was there um is there do you have a favorite female director are they indie or is it more kind of a mainstream female director and what about that director do you love Sure. Um, I love a couple of different female indie directors. I love Catherine Hardwick. Mm-hmm. She did Lords of Dogtown. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love uh, Catherine. Uh, I can't think of her last name right now, but she directed Hurt Locker. I think she was the first uh, woman to win an Oscar, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, and what I love about that film specifically um, and about female directors in general, they have this way of capturing the sensitivity, especially in what I would call masculine circumstances or masculine characters. 
you see different sides of of the prison, different sides of the character. Um, and from my experience in working with female directors, there is this collaborative feeling on set where your opinions are valued and they're welcomed. Um, everyone, male and female, I feel feels more confident, uh, more comfortable on, on set. Um, and it's just a different dynamic. I also really love Ava DuVernay. Oh yeah, she yes, yeah, yeah. She's, she's fantastic, and oh, she's like such a fierce, like compassionate director. Um, I actually had the opportunity to work with her on When They See Us, also formerly called Central Park Five. Yeah. I was just about to ask you about that, too, because of that. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. It was so freaking inspiring to be on that set. I mean, there were female crew members. There were diverse crew members. And there was this feeling of love, generosity on set, you know. um, And she really touched on the, the authenticity of the moment and the circumstances and was so generous, so generous with everyone on set. Um, it was a wonderful experience. And I just, I think she is going to the top. Like I really do. I think we're going to see exciting things from her. She just made the deal at Warner brothers. I think like a multi-year deal. She's going to be directing a lot at Warner brothers. I I think. Yeah. Um, what was? Can you tell us a little bit about your your character or anything like that? Or is it sure? Kind of- sure. I um, play Dasha Palenko's sister mm-hmm. um, and John Leguizamo's sister-in-law, and basically his son comes back after um, serving a prison sentence for a crime that he didn't commit. Mm-hmm. And so this was the first opportunity I had to actually play a character that wasn't kind and empathetic. She's more hard and sees things in one way and doesn't accept him being there in her sister's home. And so what was fun about the scene is that she really wanted the chaos that comes from that when you're a family and there are differences and you disagree and it's not this pretty kind of choreographed thing it's messy um so it was so much fun to play um yeah and they were so wonderful like i learned so many things from them they were generous with talking about the business and you know encouraging to just keep going so it was a great great experience um, I think our, um, our listeners would love to hear, and I, I, also I want to hear, like, does Ava have a specific way of working? Does she leave freedom up to the actors, or is she more hands-on? Um, how she, What's her method of directing? Sure. So she is very open to letting you, for the first take, show your homework and show what your idea is. And then she will take that and kind of build upon it. Um, And then also try a different perspective. Like, okay, we have that one. Let's try it this way. Let's see what happens when we just tweak it this way, you know? And she was 
so open to improvisation, you know, and just kind of, especially for that scene, because it is so, such a messy scene, um, that she was really like, go for it, just go ahead, get in his face, like do whatever you need to do. Um, and so that was really freeing as an actor, you know, because you're just like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> That's cool. It sounds like a great time. Is there yeah. a... Was there an empowering role that you played um, that you really kind of reflect on, or was that the one, or in your past, what's the most empowering role that you played? Sure. The most empowering role that I played was actually something I co-produced with a classmate of mine. Um, it was the role in Be a Good Little Widow. Mm -hmm. And the reason I found it to be empowering was because up to that point, I always played very put together characters they're you know usually the the working class girl who put herself through college and is doing the right thing and in that role i got to play someone who's not put together she doesn't have her life figured out and there was something freeing about that and empowering in that i Put, I created that. Even though, I, you know, it's already been done. This was a revival. We staged it. We co-produced it. We, you know, rehearsed it and, and did it in a way that it was professional. Um, and also, there was something about letting go of control with that type of character that I personally found free mm -hmm. in that she she gets really ugly on stage emotionally. You know what I mean? You see the parts of humanity that aren't so great to look at, and you, you wouldn't expect that um, necessarily when you go to the theater to see, like, something that's a comedy. You know, it's kind of like there are comedic moments. And it was the first time that I played a character that was always on stage. And that was both terrifying um, and a good opportunity for growth as an artist. What school uh, was this at? You have, um, where'd you go to school? I went to school at the William Esper Studio. I did their two-year conservatory program. Awesome. And so this was, we produced this after we graduated like a couple years after, um, and ran it at the Wild Project downtown. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah. a cool space. Yeah, it's really cool, yeah. So there's a project that um, I caught wind of that you were in. Tell me about how you joined the casting call, the project, and what that experience was like. Oh, yes. So actually, uh, one of the women that co-created it was a classmate of mine at Esper, and she reached out to see if it would be something I'd be interested in, um, and I was immediately on board because as a, as a female actor, we deal with so much more objectification, I would say. And I, I do know that men deal with it too, but I think it's more heightened for us. And there have been times where, especially when I was first starting out and doing student films to kind of get that experience of being on set, um, you'd go in for parts and it, they would expect nudity or it would be, the female would be objectified. Um, and you read these 
casting descriptions that have no depth to them, no complexity. It's just about looks. You're either the pretty girl or the sexy librarian, whatever that is, you know, or the curvy, funny girl who's not really pretty but is funny. And you don't see that with male <laughs> character breakdowns, you know? Um, and so this was just a good way to put it out there that we're so much more than that. We're so complex and there needs to be a change, you know, in the industry as to how women are viewed, the types of parts we can play. And it was so cool to see the response that it got, you know, like I had friends in Georgia that are like, Oh, we saw this thing online. Like, that's so cool. Um, and I think it got a real conversation started. It was featured on buzz Buzzfeed, right? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. What What are three three books that you've gift, gifted the most in the past year? Would you say? Hmm. Well, the three books I haven't gifted them, but I've recommended them are um, The Alchemist. Awesome, love that book. Oh my god, I love that book, and I still reread it so often. It's like tattered now, um, and I feel like every time I read it, I get different gems from it. Mm-hmm. And then another book that I've recommended is um, this short film book. It's it's literally called Writing Short Films, and I, I forget the author now. But it's so helpful because the format for short films is so different from feature films. You have, like, such a limited window to tell the story. And what I loved about it is that you, she gives you examples of short film scripts of how they grab your attention quickly. They still have a full arc. It's still a full story with full characters. Um, and there's a lot of great gems in there and, and helpful tips for that. And I found it useful for writing my own short films because um, that's another thing. We really need to create our own content, um, especially now with the easiness that we have to do that and the platforms we have to like put it out there. Um, and then the third book I recommend is, I love this author so much, Haruki Murakami. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. 1Q84. I haven't read that it's one. Like, you haven't read it? I mean, it's a beast because it's four books in one. Um, but it is so beautiful. It just, I read it every year, like once a year. And... It's this magical love story with impossible odds. Um, and the female protagonist in it is so badass. She's like this really cool assassin who's like specialized in it, but she only does it to people who hurt women. You know, she only kills people who hurt women. Um, and she meets this man when they were children and throughout these alternate universes, they find each other again. So that book, I really regret, <laughs> but it's not for the faint-hearted. It's like it's a beast of a book. Okay, so you—it seems I didn't know that you were a writer of short films. Um, that's cool, and you got the co-producing with the Widows Project. If you could be in the room, which I imagine you will be one day, with a major decision maker in the industry as far as creating those three-dimensional characters and opportunities for women, and what you said had lasting real impact. What would you say or do that would enhance the representation of the women on screen and also behind the camera? What I would do is hire women. 
women from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. I mean, that is the straightforward answer to this, you know, um, because we need people from different backgrounds who know the backgrounds, who have lived it, to tell these stories. You know, as much as I know there are empathetic, wonderful people who are Caucasian, uh, they just, there's still a, a bit of a barrier there because if they haven't experienced it, there's just like a nugget of authenticity that's missing. Right. That makes sense. And I think that one of the shows that really um, captures a lot of point of views and that I really love is Jane the Virgin. I think that they constantly have a lot of diversity. They tackle a lot of really topical news items. You know what I mean? Like they handle immigration. They handle what it means to be in a same-sex relationship or what it means to be fluid, you know? Um, And they really represent Latino families in an authentic way. I mean, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my mom. That's, you know, that's how I grew up. That's totally just nostalgic for me, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's what we need. We need more diverse voices. We need more women in the room. And that's what I would fight for. For sure. So you're a writer. Um, Have you written or do you you have a character, a three-dimensional woman character that would set the precedent for future women roles that would kind of be the foundation of that character to be based on? And what? Sure. Um, well, I have written, I just wrote a, a four page short that I'm planning to shoot in the summer. Um, and so I'm currently working on the SAG paperwork for all that. And a three dimensional character, um, a show that I'm a huge fan of is Orphan Black. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, it's uh, about a woman who finds out she has clones. Um, and each clone has their own individual personality. And while I think that's wonderful that this actress gets to play all these different characters, what I would love to see is just having one woman with all those characteristics and that complexity. I think we're getting there. I do think that. Um, but I don't think it's accessible to all level of actors right now. I think for the top celebrity A-listers, they have that, not only the connections, the money to produce their own work, to get the rights of novels. So they have that ability. Um, But for people who are more working class actors, it's still, you're still navigating the stereotypes. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that's what I would love to see more of, those complex characters in the more supporting roles. Um, because that's that's life, you know? We're all complex. We all have different things. Um, and I understand that sometimes we have to serve the story, but it can be done in a way that still honors that individual in an authentic way. Sure. So we're, we're four months into the year, what would you say is the happiest moment that's happened for you this year in 2019? The happiest moment, I would say 
Hmm, that's a really good question. <laughs> I would say, oh, I would say it's actually it's actually not for me. It's actually for my mom. She just passed her citizenship test. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah, and so and I'm so proud of her. And she's been in this country for like 39 years now, almost. Yeah. Um, and she finally did it, and she was so thrilled. It was just so. It's such an epic moment, you know. Um, so that would be my happiest moment. That's cool. Congrats to uh, mummy. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if there was a motto um, that you could plaster in Times Square or across the world that um, every little girl would see that would inspire them and empower them, what would that motto be? Sure. <clears throat> I think it would be be yourself. Don't succumb to anyone else's standards. Find your own way. That's what I would like to instill. Um, you know, I, I'm an 80s baby and I was born in the 90s and I found that oftentimes when you're your authentic self and you know what you want and you're direct um, from the female perspective, it's it's never seen as assertive and like a leader. It's seen as bossy or difficult. And I think that I let that get in my way as I was growing up and trying to be an artist to sort of not placate people, but you know, be agreeable, be a team player. And what I would like to instill into young girls is, fuck that. Can we curse on this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Speak your mind. Speak what's on your heart. <laughs> you know, fuck that. Be yourself. Do what you want. Go after what you want. Um, you can do that in a kind way. You don't have to be a jerk. You can be assertive and be kind to people and be compassionate towards people. But ultimately... You have to serve yourself and you can be a little selfish. That's real. Yeah. So there's a lot of actors out there right now um, that work hard um, and they can be burned out. So what's for you, what's the threshold between an actor working hard and being productive and actually getting things done versus working hard and not getting anything done from burning out? Yes. I mean, this is a very... Um, personal topic for me because I'm still working on that balance. I really am. And I think that that will probably be a lifetime's work. But I think when you're working hard and you're passionate about the projects you're working on, there's something energizing about that. You know, you're still able to eat healthy, make sure you're working out, um, make sure you're socializing with friends and having a family, quality family time and still achieving those goals. And I think when you're working hard into that burnout phase, you're not doing that. You know, you're kind of oftentimes doing busy work instead of focused, specific work towards your goals, targeted goals. Um, you're just doing all different things, throwing spaghetti at the wall. And the lack of focus, I think, is wasted energy because you've got a lot of things going on. You're juggling a lot of balls. Um, and I think that that's what I've learned for myself is 
the signs that I'm working towards a path that is going to burn me out. It's going to make me tired. I'm going to get sick. Um, and I think it's important for actors to find out how that is for them, what that looks like, and what they need to do that would feed them, you know, um, make sure that they are sleeping, taking care of themselves. Everybody's different, you know. For me, um, what I like to do is work out, go on walks, try to travel when I can, especially somewhere that I've never been. I don't speak the language. Try to learn a new skill. Like right now, I'm trying to learn how to play the guitar. Um, anything. Spend time with friends, even friends that aren't in the acting business, because I think that that helps ground you and give you balance mm -hmm. and see that it's not all about the business. You know, there's other things out there in the world. And I think that when you can find those things that work for you, whether that's meditation, going to therapy, um, that's when you'll start to work towards that balance. And it's, it's going to be a lifetime process. I really believe that because, you know, we're actors, we're passionate. We love acting, love working. Um, you know, it's, it's going to happen where you can veer off that path and go towards the path of burnout. You mentioned uh, busy, uh, being busy. What would that what would that be? Um, how would that look for an actor? How would they know whether or not it's busy work versus being productive? Sure. So I think busy work is going to the one-on-ones, but not targeting the casting directors that cast the parts that you can play. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to all of them and just taking all these classes, it's sending a hundred um, mailings to all these different kinds of agents without, um, without researching them and targeting them. It's, you know, working on plays or working on projects that don't feed you, that you do out of an obligation. I find that when that happens, because you're working so hard to make it work and say, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll get this out of it or it's going to be good. It's an experience. That's a lot of energy that you're using for something that isn't feeding you. Um, and that was one of the hardest things I had to learn actually was saying no to projects because you want to work, you want to act. Um, and what I think is productive hard work is researching the agents that are in need of your particular look and brand, researching what casting um, directors are casting, if those shows have your type, if that's something where you can realistically see yourself, um, and targeting them in postcard mailings whenever you have something going on. Those are smart ways to work also when you have downtime, practicing, working on sides and material, videotaping yourself, you know, that's something you could do once a week and just analyze, see, okay, how am I with my framing? How am I with my eye lines, you know? Does this moment seem real? Like, that's an effective way to work and improve yourself um, that isn't going to scatter your energy. 
also writing, creating your own content and kind of setting blocks of time for that. Um, and I think, and I struggle with this, you know, I, I'm still working on it. I have to say, but creating structure for yourself, you know, when you're in acting school, that structure is created for you. And then once you graduate, it's kind of like a free for all, you know, it's like, well, how can I be a creative person and have creativity in my daily life and also keep it within a structure so that it's not obsessively working towards something. It's not, um, dysfunctional or debilitating. Um, because we need to, rest in order to use our instrument you know you can't be acting all the time or calling up these intense emotional experiences all the time you need that downtime to process to figure out who you are like what personal goals you want to achieve in life and so i think that those are the the warning signs that you can look out for um when you're going towards burnout. Yeah, something I always tell people is that even God took a day off. So yeah, that's that's true. That's, um, that, that's something <laughs> good to remember. Yeah. What's uh, been the most challenging thing for you this year and how has that challenge helped you grow as a person, as an artist, as a woman? Sure, sure. Hmm. The most challenging thing this year was... Going after bigger parts, you know, getting called back for bigger parts, and then the heartbreak that comes when you don't get it. Um, because we're we're artists, we feel deeply, we're sensitive, and sometimes rejection is really friggin' hard, you know. Um, but what I learned from that process, I think, was that. It's like a wave. There other opportunities are always going to come. There's nothing to fear. There's enough for all of us. Um, and also, it something about it helped me to let go in the audition rooms. I, I definitely, and I know this happens to a lot of actors as well, but you can fall into that trap of, especially when you're going out and going out and you just really want to book something and you see other people are booking and you're, you're like, well, I want to book something too. You can fall into that trap of trying to please the room instead of pleasing your artistic sensibility. Mm-hmm. And I think when I made that shift into, you know what? I'm not going to try to do what I think the casting director wants to see. I'm going to find what's interesting about this material for myself that is going to challenge me as an artist and is also going to give me artistic food, you know, for lack of a better word. And what I'm going to set as my goal for the audition is either I want to make sure I'm breathing that's, I just want to make sure that in that audition room, I'm breathing, or I want to make sure I'm taking up space, you know, or that I'm listening and responding. I think those are great goals that we can all set for ourselves in auditions that aren't based on a result 
that is dependent upon somebody else. You know, and when I made that shift, that's when I started noticing changes. And it was easier to let go of auditions too. You know, once you do it, that's it. And you go on with your daily life. Um, and it's not this kind of weight of, oh, did I get the part? You know, like checking your emails and like asking your agent or manager, oh, have you heard from them? You know, it was very freeing. And so I think that was the biggest growth that I had. And also it it can happen with, um, or you can apply it to daily life as well of like letting go of things that just don't matter. You know, um, if people say something out of turn because they're feeling a certain way, you know, you can let it go. You can have that empathy of like, you know, it's, it's on them. It's nothing I did. Um, and move past that. Right. So you you mentioned um, kind of what what would we mentioned like uh, the burnout? What would so in rejection and all that? What are three things that actors can do daily to kind of take care of their mental health? Because the rejection over time could take a toll. The working hard could take a toll. So what are three practical things that actors could do? Would you say? Yes. Well, I'm a big fan of therapy. <laughs> I think everyone should be in therapy. Um, but particularly artists because it's twofold. You know, I think you need to be in touch with all of your feelings and know what your triggers are for all those feelings so that you can bring it to the work, you know, so that if you're doing a scene like streetcar named desire, you know, and you know that lying really, really triggers you as Stanley, when you know, Blanche is lying, you can call upon that and you know what that feels like to give an authentic performance. And it's also good to have an outside perspective from someone who's not related to you to be able to vent and kind of come up with tools that can help you, um, to kind of get through, navigate through these difficult experiences that we sometimes experience as actors. I mean, we get rejected a lot, you know, that's part of the game. And sometimes it's not a big deal. We could get past it and other times it really hurts. Um, so I, I think that's one great way of Meditation, journaling is another great way to take care of yourself. It really helps to ground you, to center you. And with journaling, it's just a great way to get all that negative self-talk and like all that word diarrhea out of your body and out of your mind and just put somewhere. It's a great release for that. I also think something that you could do is any kind of physical movement, whatever you like to do, whether it's running, it's strength training, it's yoga, spin class, any kind of physical activity that can get your energy flowing, you know, get any repressed feelings out of the body, I think is great for actors as well. And eating healthy and drinking a lot of water. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm actually starting to drink I mean, a gallon. You'd be surprised if it does for your mental state. <laughs> yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier, which I thought was interesting, kind of like boldness and assertiveness for, for women. Um, what? Tell me practical things women actresses can do to reclaim their power in the industry. That's a great question. Well, the first thing is creating your own content. I mean, I'm going to 
that. Write your own stories, put them in film festivals. That's one of the most empowering things I think women can do as far as having agency on the type of storytelling they want to do and the type of characters they want to play. I also think it's standing up for yourself, whether that's on set or in a rehearsal, when something doesn't feel right. And that can be done in a way that is assertive and compassionate and not um, viewed as a complaint. But I also think that you need to own your truth and not worry about what anyone else thinks if that is something you feel strongly about or if you feel that something isn't right, something isn't working. That's And that's something I wish I worked on more when I was a younger actor. Um, also, feeling free to be in charge of the type of career you want. If that means saying no to certain projects because that's not where your end goal is, I think that's another empowering thing for women to do. Um, I think for myself, I'm getting a little better at it now, but I definitely would say yes to a lot of things, even if I wasn't necessarily interested or I, it wasn't the type of work I wanted on my resume. Because of that fear of, you know, when is another audition going to come along? This could be a good opportunity. So I think that having the courage to say no um, to things that don't feel true to your authenticity is another great way to empower yourself. That is so true and so real. Um, definitely struggled with that before. And I just out of the feeling like it's it's something that you got to pay your dues, you got to do this and you, just that kind of thing. And I think in a, in a way you do have to pay some dues, but like saying, I, I've definitely said yes to things that I should have said no to. <laughs> but you mentioned that you... You do uh, short films and all that kind of stuff. You have Central Park Five coming out. Are you currently working on anything else, or um, what are those projects? And if not, what do you want to work on? Do you kind of want to chat more about your short film right now? When Central Park Five drop, all that stuff. Sure, sure. So Central Park Five drops on May thirty first on Netflix. It'll be available for streaming, and I'm so excited to see it. And it's it's such an important story. Um, you know, uh, those young men really lost a big chunk of their lives. And I'm excited to just be a small part of sharing that story with the world. Um, and as far as my short film, it is what I'd like to say, because there's a little bit of a twist at the end, that it's about the unbreakable bond of two sisters. Um, and so I'm really excited to shoot that. I've, I've put uh, a feeler out there. Uh, to an actress that I, I really just love and admire and we run into each other at auditions and it's always such a positive experience. Um, so I'm excited to get into pre-production and, and do this thing, you know? Okay. <laughs> um, and as far as upcoming projects right now, I'm just auditioning auditioning for um, some cool parts, but I, I like to keep things open. I Before, I used to get into the trap of, 
oh, I want this kind of um, part and, and this kind of film or this, you know, and now, as long as it's the story is something that I really resonate with and I find meaning in it, I want to be open to any possibility. Um, what else? What was the other part of your question? Yeah, and um, if you want to work on something, what would that be? I think you just, if you want to work on a particular project or with a director, um, that'd be great to know too. But yeah. you kind of said you want to be open. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I think ultimately my, my dream um, would be to, to have, to be on a show probably on a streaming platform because I love the model that they use of, you know, having eight to 12 episodes. I would love to be part of a show that is in the vein of either the killing. I'm not sure if you've seen that one. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it though. The kill. Oh, it's, it's on Netflix. Yeah. Netflix. I think it is on Netflix now. I think it is. The first season is fantastic. It's it was such an interesting premise at the time, and I, I believe it was a remake of um, a Danish show. I want to say, um, definitely a European show. But the idea is that these two detectives are solving a crime, and the entire season is that one crime. Wow. So you really delve into the nitty gritty of it and what that does to the family, to the detectives. Um, and it's just, and the character work is just so interesting. So something along that vein or something along the vein of a Jessica Jones, you know, I, I find flawed characters or anti-heroes, very interesting. Um, and that Marvel Universe is pretty dope, too. Yeah, it's pretty dope. <laughs> God, I, yeah. I'm really sad that they left Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, something along those lines, because there's such an... Uh, it's just so interesting that the contradiction of the inner demons you have, but then also having that empathy for others that you, you want to help them. So you, you mentioned some, uh, some, some dope people earlier with Christina Ricci. I ask all my guests this, when they think of the word creative, who comes to mind for you and why? Oh, actually the first person I thought of was Kate Blanchett. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the way she transforms herself, her freaking accent work, she is amazing. Like, honestly, I think that she has such depth as an artist, and I love that she continually tries to challenge herself. She goes back to her home uh, home city and does theater work there. Um, I, I love that. I love actors who are constantly searching because I think that that lends itself to creativity. Um, who else? Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just saw Ocean's 8 the other day. With my yeah. Brother. Isn't she fantastic in it? Yeah, she did a good job. Yeah, she's... She, for me, I don't know why, but she really kind of stood out among all of them because she was just so... It was just such an interesting character choice. And she always plays 
these kind of grounded misfits, I would say, mm-hmm. where it's not an exaggeration, it's not a, a, a caricature, it's grounded in a reality, but it's so unique and, and refreshing in a different perspective than you normally see. And Sam Rockwell, I think, is also really creative. Definitely you know, want to see that movie uh, with Taraji. That's huh? he's coming out with that movie with Taraji. It's coming out pretty soon. I forget the name. Oh, of it. I'm excited to see yeah. that. I love Taraji too. Yeah, I love that woman hidden fig- the movie Hidden Figures. Yeah, I feel like it didn't get the full credit it deserved because that was an excellent film. Where can people connect with you? I know you're on Instagram. You have um, you have Twitter, the whole thing, Facebook. Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Amira Martinez. Pretty pretty straightforward. Um, they can connect with me there. I also have a website, amiramartinez.com, um, that people can email me at as well. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Any any like uh like advice? Any um. Final words for this this episode. Anything you want to say? It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. What I would like to finish with, and it's something I touched on before, is don't look for any outside validation. You know, validate yourself. Find what it is in every audition that you artistically want to get out of it. Don't worry about what the casting directors want. Don't worry about, you know, the result of booking the job. If you are authentic to yourself and you're authentic to the material and the character, they'll call you back. They're going to remember you, you know, and you don't never know what is going to lead from that. Um, so just be true to yourself. Like Shakespeare said. <laughs> to thine, thine own self be true. Dope. Yep. Amir Martinez, it's been a pleasure. And um, I look forward to working with you sometime in the future. Yeah, for sure, Aaron.